How do you like your word? You like it rare? You like it medium, little pink inside, medium well, well done, or just downright dead and not fit to eat? I learned a long time ago, and someone named Walter Kaiser taught in a class I was in that said, the Bible's about God, and he really doesn't care what you think. <laughs> I also learned from a friend named David Thompson, who's now watching from heaven, who taught about recurring words in a text and knowing that the Bible's about God, and it's not about the human condition first, but it's about God's perception and God's precepts and God's concepts that we are to pay attention to and look for something in a passage that is about God. And I just point out as we walk through 1 Samuel 3 today, including the first verse of chapter 4, verse 1, that just simply is this, that there is a call of God, a voice of God, a word of the Lord in this one chapter 18 times. And so your English Bible will say that this passage is about the call of Samuel in the house of the Lord or the house of Eli perhaps, but I would declare before you today that this passage is about God's word and the fact that it should be well done. But it gets rare. Apparently it gets rare because we find in the first verse of chapter 3 that in those days the word of the Lord was rare. There weren't very many visions. And so how does it get rare? The interrogative here is when does it get rare? And so let's walk through this chapter. And I heard the buses will wait for you if it goes too long. <laughs> The Word of God gets rare when it's not given. The times were that Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were, were literally sleeping on the job. They, they were blind to see what was going on. It wasn't just his physical eyesight, perhaps. Maybe the text actually is meaning that there were things that were going on under the high priest's nose that he couldn't see it and he didn't know it and he couldn't smell it and he couldn't taste it. And the corruption of the high priesthood was going on so much and so many times over and over again. Some scholars thinking somewhere back to the judges, maybe even 400 years, that there was not a prophet worthy of receiving or even delivering God's word. Imagine that. That there wasn't anybody who in that particular time frame was so in line with God that God would trust his word to them. Don't slide by this fact. And that is when God has free reign and his word can be taught in liberty and that it can be received by the people of God. We say it, don't we? This is the word of God for the people of God. We say thanks be to God. It is something that there needs to be someone in Samuel's day, be someone who will raise up and represent God and that you are actually worthy to be able to do that. None of us are worthy to be able to do that, but God is looking for someone to deliver his word to. And so we are to be open about that. There are other times in Scripture that this happened as well. Amos 8 would be a time when there was a famine of the words of Yahweh. Psalm 74 would point to the fact that there was no longer any prophet. 
Even throughout the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 28, for example, a little bit later, we find that the absence of God's word was a signal of the loss of God's presence. It is a sign of grace, a means of grace, when God's word has free course amongst God's people. And so in our world of mouths that we live in, with all of the chatter, with all of the distractions, with all of those conversations that are off course and not about God but about us in our world today, is God's word so rare because we're following our own way and we aren't paying attention to his? Is it rare? Because it's not given. Recently, I was selected to serve on a jury in the state of Oklahoma in a murder-for-hire case. Nobody got murdered. Nobody was hired. I saw 1 Corinthians played out in a courtroom. Had no idea that a conservative, evangelical, constitutional American Christian would be chosen for a jury today, but I was. I spent three days of my life thinking about how rare God's word was in that courtroom. There are a lot of other words that you shouldn't say close to God's word or close to Sunday or close to your mom, but all kinds of things flying through that courtroom. In the jury selection, the defense attorney zeroed in on me. You have to fill out a profile if you're a juror. I don't know how recent you've done this. I didn't have any idea. They ask you everything. And so he found out that I worked for a university. I didn't say what I did at the university, and so he decided he'd dig in a little bit. He's just inquiring of the jurors, seeing who they want to select, and he said, do you teach? And I said, well, yeah, sometimes, but I'm not a professor. He went immediately to ask me if I was the janitor at the university. (laughs) I don't know what those two things have to do with each other, but regardless, He said, what do you do? I said, I'm not that either. Well, sometimes I am when there's something that needs to be cared for. But what do you do? I said, I'm the president. He did a cartoon-like physical reaction. You're the president. And I said, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing here either. But anyway, (laughs) I've got a university to run. You're wasting my time. He said, tell me something. Are you a Christian? I said, I am. And he said, what's the biggest problem in society today? And I've thought about this for a little while. And I said, the worship of self. To which the judge had not turned off her microphone yet, and simply in the microphone, all you could hear was, ooh, that's good. (laughs) Am I so interested in my word, in, in my direction, in my way, that the word of God is rare because it's not being given, it's not being something that is even applied to my life. We don't don't have to go back to Eli, we don't have to go back to Hophni and Phinehas, We, we can stay right here. The word of God gets rare when there is no prophet to give it to. So some of you might be thinking that the problem's solved because we have the written word today. We, we know Jesus, and, and it's dangerous to go into, uh, you know, this, this, this theology and doctrine that, that, uh, that 
happens after this. And so, so it's just sitting right here in the text. Let, let's not get into all of the reasons why it's not rare today because we have the Bible. I mean, we heard it today and we said, thanks be to God. And, and so we have that. So problem solved. We have the word. The word of God gets rare also when it's not received. There weren't many visions given. And apparently... The truth of God that was delivered at any point in time of this particular historical context, it wasn't being received either. The problem continues when people refuse or just neglect study. They neglect preparation. They neglect the recipient kind of posture that we need that just simply says, speak to me. Pour out your spirit on me, that I would be one like Joshua that wouldn't turn to the left or the right. Who knew that God was talking about American politics clear back in Joshua 1, but that I would stay steadfast and be totally fixated on receiving what it is that God has for me each day? Is it rare because I'm not ready to receive it? They weren't ready to receive it. The key to God's truth marching on is not about just God delivering it, but it's also about his people receiving it and applying it, and implementing it, and that's why the word of the Lord was rare in Samuel's day. God is still calling for his messengers to receive, to proclaim, to apply his word, that we would be people who are not blind, that we are not deaf to God. The call of God, the voice of God, is in that passage that was read for you today, 11 different times. This, this calling, this, this will you receive it, this, this are you ready, this, this have you prepared your heart, even when you go into the house of God as the people of God, that whatever it is that God wants to reveal of his truth, of his, himself, that I'd be ready to receive it so that it, it's not rare. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And also, what should we do? The Word of God is rare because it's not given. The Word of God is rare because it's not received. The Word of God is rare because it's not taught or it's not known. You find this story, this narrative of the boy, Samuel. Josephus thinks that he was uh, 12 years old. There's speculation in that, but if you know Jewish culture... Perhaps he's not a young man yet. He's called a boy in this passage. And so he is given to the house of God. He's under the tutelage of Eli. And Eli is asleep on the job. He's blind to what's going on around him. And he hasn't taught. It simply says that Samuel did not yet know the word of the Lord. He had no idea who was calling him. Now, there are some scholars that think that because of Eli's blindness, he might have been in a routine of calling out for help from Samuel, who was there to be able to assist him in the middle of the night. I think it's much deeper than that, but you can debate that with me over lunch if you'd like. I seriously think that it is a case where he should have been hearing the word of the Lord by the Levitical tribe in the house of the Lord on this routine of hour after hour after hour where the Torah is read out loud and what a shameful sight it is in the house of the Lord that the children in the house of the Lord don't know the word of the Lord. They should have been taught. 
He should have known God's truth. He should have known God's word. He, he should have already been instructed the next time he calls, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so you have this, this trilogy, if you will, of him making this trek to Eli's door. I can just imagine this as a little boy. Here's his name, gets up, you called me? No, go back to bed. Here's his name again, gets up, goes and checks on, Sam, on Eli, knocks on the door. You called me? No, stop stalling. You don't need another drink of water. Go back to bed. He goes a third time, no, I didn't call you for crying out loud. You're interrupting my beauty sleep. Go back to bed, would you please? And Eli finally gets it. You know why? Because the lamp of God had not gone out totally yet. And the word of God will prevail. The church of God will prevail. Even though it's rare, it's not extinguished. It never will be. And so Eli gets this moment where it dawns on him. Next time he calls, maybe you should say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. God's still calling. What should have been experienced on a daily basis for all of Samuel's years in the house of God it's the same thing that can happen in the church today. And before we start pointing fingers and thinking about all the churches that we might know and, and wondering what those conversations are like, and only if we had been taught God's word, then maybe we wouldn't be so focused on ourselves. I, I really realized this, this need in my own home when I was a young pastor. I was relying too much on the discipleship programming and Sunday school and kids club, and Sunday night activities to train my own two children who, in a sense, are growing up in Eli's house, if you'll let me say that. And I realized at a family altar one night, even though it's a bit of a litmus test, they did not know the Lord's Prayer, or they did not know the doxology. And I felt terrible. And that's not the whole equivocation of salvific kind of journeys that somebody should be on. You, you can recite things. You can recite creeds and not know who the Lord is. I, I understand that completely. But I, but I thought, for, you know, the pastor's kids ought to know the Lord's Prayer. That'd probably be a good thing. Right? And the pastor's kids ought to know, ought to know the, the doxology. I mean, that, that would be something that some of us might need to be taught as well. But anyway, he, here I am, and I didn't blame it on them. I blamed it on me. I took very seriously from that moment on to a nine-year-old boy and an eight-year-old girl who are now graduates of this school, who are now serving in Delaware. Yeah, a Wesleyan evangelical church of about 1,000 people on the weekend in Delaware. There is a God. <laughs> and a daughter who's 5,400 miles away from here serving in Eastern Europe in a country that I'm not supposed to name because this is streamed online. 27 and 26. And so what the math is, years ago, more than a decade ago, we would meet on Friday. I started to go through catechism with my own children. I, I decided that I wouldn't let the responsibility rests only on the local church, that the local church would be the supplement 
of the privilege that I had of training my own children. And one of the things that I did, just to make it a little bit fun, and perhaps to humor dad more than anything else, was I literally took the Lord's Prayer and the doxology and printed them out rather tersely on a white piece of paper, and I taped it on the inside of the cereal bowl cabinet. <laughs> You're going to think I'm ruthless, but they're okay. They turned out okay. Nobody called, you know, Parent Protective Services or whatever that is, and and so every time they went to get a bowl of cereal, the uh, requirement in our house was, and I had to do it too, by the way, was that you had to recite the Lord's Prayer and say the doxology before you got a cereal bowl, for which my son, becoming a teenager soon, was about 15 times a day. <laughs> and then when they got to Asbury Seminary, piece of cake for a spontaneous Wesleyan who has really no liturgy in their background to speak of, like some of you might, they knew that stuff like the back of their hand. They were thanking God for Captain Crunch all day long. I know, I know the doxology. I know the Lord's Prayer. Listen, it's my privilege as a dad. It's your privilege as a spiritual father and mother. You perhaps have grandchildren. Don't give up on teaching the word of the God for the children of God. This is part of our issue. We haven't taught. We aren't speaking it out loud, the spiritual discipline of reading the scriptures out loud, even in your home, it's not just for church. And so may our children and grandchildren know God so well that they one night will say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Perhaps some of us need to say that today. It gets rare when it's not given. It gets rare when it's not received. It it gets rare when it's not taught. The word of the Lord gets rare when it is not easy to deliver. I'd rather be quiet. I'd rather not go down that controversial trail. I'd rather not be made fun of. I want to be liked. I want to sprinkle some Dale Carnegie on Samuel's words here to Eli. I mean, you got to get along with people for crying out loud. You can't you can't just go in. But what was he called to do? He was told by God that Eli's term would end. His family's term would end. There is no possibility that they would be restored into their leadership, perhaps even into their kingdom. And it was a brutal message the next morning. And what does Eli do? Hey, what did God say to you last night? Can you imagine a 12-year-old boy if that's what he is and the voice is cracking? <clears throat> well, um... I think, I think it's, I think it's going to be okay. Um, I, uh, God has a, 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 a wonderful plan for your life. He's got a plan, and um, you're going you're gonna to die, and your, your sons are going to die, and your whole line is going to be cut off. That, can I be excused? <laughs> Imagine. Someone's asked me in recent days about my preparation having never served at a, a school of any kind before. I've been in the pastorate in denominational life. I'm a church guy. And, and so they asked me, like, how do you prepare to be a president of a Christian university? <laughs> and so uh, there is something that happened while I was at Asbury Seminary that prepared me for everything that I've ever done. And, and a lot of it happened here, but there's something that didn't happen here on this campus. But it was while I was a student here. I paid tuition bills by refereeing basketball. I traveled the state, I 
Ended up in Rupp Arena. I had a Missouri Valley Conference uh, uh, offer. I took a church instead because God still calls people to, I know I'm in Kentucky, but God still calls people to his truth and not UK or the Big Blue or whatever that is. And so I was in the time frame where Eddie Sutton's boys were playing at Lexington Catholic, and Eddie would be there, and you could hear him growl right behind the scores, but did you just call a foul on my boy? And it was a high-pressure kind of job, but I, I happened to be decent at it. I finished third out of 175 in a coach's rating, and then I took a church. And I kept refereeing. <laughs> but it wasn't basketball. It was having difficult conversations. We, sometimes we don't train enough, perhaps, on how do you handle conflict and continually working with people and people that are going to vote on you, at least in my tradition, and, and, and taking the hard stand and being yelled at by county commissioners when you take a stand against things like paramutual betting in your county. And, and being made fun of by church members because you took a stand against RU486 when it came out the morning after pill and, and taking a stand even as a university president of what is it that you're going to do with all these students who are going to be gay and all of these questions that come. And quite frankly, I'd rather just go back to bed with Samuel. We need to be countercultural, not anti-culture. It's high time that the Church of Jesus Christ, specifically in this context, with you and me, to stop talking about the world and start talking to it. With what? With the good news of Jesus. It's high time that we tell people what we're for instead of always having to defend what we're against. You, you, you can actually tell people what you're for by... And, and then declare what you're against, but staying on what you're for. I'm for life. Yeah, but what about, no, I'm for life. God's ideal is life. I'm for marriage. Well, what about that kind of marriage? No, God's ideal for marriage. We, we've taken a stance even as a university. We're going to tell people what we're for. And some of you might say, that's too weak. That's not, that's not bold enough. You've got to get in people's faces. Listen, the world doesn't know. They don't know because they haven't heard. Perhaps they haven't been taught. Perhaps, perhaps it's rare in their neighborhood. Perhaps the gospel's never even reached their nation. We need to be so full of Jesus that he, being grace and truth himself, fills us so much through his Holy Spirit that grace and truth ooze out of our lives. And grace comes first. There's room for truth. Totally different sermon but I'm telling you, the word of God is rare, and so the behavior for God is rare, and we have the privilege, not the chore or the task of being able to declare that Jesus is the one that can turn your life around, that he came and lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead, and he sits at the right hand of the Father today making intercession for all of our prayers that are all jumbled up, and he is for you. He is not against you, and that's the gospel message that needs to be preached far and wide in every place. But sometimes it's hard. I was on an airplane from LaGuardia Airport to Syracuse, New York a couple of years ago now, and 
I was seated. I like the aisle seat. Sometimes I take the seat next to me as well, but regardless, <laughs> there was a young man that came in, and I'd just call him blankety-blank Tyler. He was blankety-blank in everything. Blankety-blank the plane and the pilot and his girlfriend and his boss and actually was quoting scripture. I know I'm supposed to be working an honest day. I know I'm supposed to be treating my body like a temple. He was headed to the Salmon River, and he was going to get wasted for a weekend. He was going to cheat on his girlfriend, so like double fornication in one weekend. He was going to get totally corked out of his brain. He had cocaine in his backpack. Don't ask me about TSA. And I kept trying to scoot it under his chair instead of being under mine. Nothing like, you know, a university president being uh, trafficking drugs through Syracuse or whatever. And here we are sitting on a plane, blankety, blank, 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 blank. I had not heard that language since I refereed in Rupp Arena. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> and it was horrible, and I wanted to give him the what for. And in the middle of all those blankety blanks, he looked at me and he said, my name's Tyler, what's yours, and what do you do for a living? <laughs> come to me, my children, come, come. And so once in a while, I'll tell somebody on a plane that I sell fire insurance. It's kind of a wave. It'll get there soon. I'm trying to depopulate hell. That's what that means. And, and so this guy, let him. I just said, I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to which he said, oh, boo. This is what he said to me. He said, I bet you hate people like me, don't you? I said, Tyler, why, do I, why would I hate you? Well, you know, I told you I was going to be fornicating this weekend, and I'm cheating my boss, supposed to be working on this day. I've got crack in my, in my backpack, supposed to be treating my, my body like it's God's temple. And I stopped him. I said, hey, Tyler, how do you know so much scripture? He said, my daddy's a pastor. I said, does he hate you? He said, oh, no. He loves me. How about your mom? She hates you? No, she prays for me every day. It's not a very long flight from LaGuardia to Syracuse, and he asked me to pray for him. I did not pray for the whole cabin. I did not shame him in my prayer. Lord, bless this sinner, Tyler. He's headed for hell, and you know it. Not on this plane, but we're headed to Syracuse. <laughs> I prayed that his mom's answers to prayer would come. I prayed that his dad's love would shine through. I prayed that he'd straighten his life around, and he asked me for my card. I, I gave it to him. He's never called me. I, I didn't pray for him in the center aisle of the airplane. He, he didn't come forward to the laboratory to be baptized. He, there was no decision that day. We are called to plant seeds for blankety-blank Tylers, and they are all over the place, folks. You know why? Because apparently the word of the Lord is rare in their lives. So Samuel says, here am I. Send me. I get asked a lot, why would you ever want to be a university president? Don't you know the times? Apparently I don't. I picked a job, and my first year was covid Try running a university or a seminary during COVID. A hundred year pandemic. Nobody knew what to do, so I was new as well. We might as well just go for it and see where we end up. But I'll tell you why. 
A nosy friend once in a while will ask, is it about the money? Not really, not the, <laughs> it's not the per minute rate. Is it about because you're psycho and you need a title in front of your name to have purpose in life? I might be crazy, but that's not one of the areas that I'm crazy in. I do get a parking space on campus. <laughs> Our enrollment is so blessed this year, perhaps for an all-time high since 1905 at a biblically-based university, folks. It's possible that we literally had about 40 parking spaces short yesterday during a peak time on Wednesday. We're blessed, and we're going to try to steward it well. But I'll tell you why Wendy and I do it. We know that we're called to do it. It is our alma mater, which actually means other mother. And so we're back. 38 years ago, I was a freshman there and back now in the office that I pulled pranks on three decades ago. We happen to know what the church says about our young people. We also know what the world says about our young people. We think otherwise because of the hope of the gospel. We think as this generation gets right with Christ, which is number one, and they take the compassion they have that is often unmatched by other generations, which by the way, this current young person's generation goes too far sometimes, their compassion just goes way too far and is too tolerant. And I talk to our students this way, we happen to think that they'll do those two things, get right with Christ and take the compassion you have for your fellow human beings in that order. We happen to think they'll fix this world. And that's why we're there. And, and if you haven't noticed recently, we kind of need them too. You know, you're wondering what the world has come to. I, I have learned a new commentary actually in, in Oklahoma since I've uh, gone back there and now I'm a resident there. And it might be a little bit too disrespectful for, for Estes Chapel, but here we go. It's an Oklahoman commentary. The title of it is, Don't Squat With Your Spurs On. <laughs> but there's a quote in that book, and it's actually a series if you want to look it up. And there's all kinds of advice for cowboys and whatever in there. But it says, if you're wondering what this world's a coming to, you're in the same shoes as your daddy, your daddy's daddy, and every other daddy that's come down the trail. It could be hard to deliver God's truth. Would you join me in believing and encouraging our young people to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening? Would you highlight the call of God on people's lives? Would you help them to realize that there are places like Asbury Seminary that they can be trained in? Why? Because the word of the Lord is rare, sometimes in the church and sometimes outside of the church. And we have the privilege through people like Samuel to be able to say, even in the historicity of the biblical text, God's word can be well done. And he brings all of Israel, the word of God. You have some inclusio in here where it's rare in the first part of chapter 3, and all of Israel hears from Samuel, God's word, in the first portion of chapter 4. It's full circle. It's not lost. It's not extinguished. It's, it's not something that uh, somebody's going to somehow do away with. 
As long as they're a prophet of God, a proclamation of God, an application of God, an obedience toward God, the word of God can be well done in every generation. And church, we need to hold out for that hope each and every day and represent it and teach it and continue to call for it. So it's impossible, Luther. It's impossible, Luther King Jr., It's impossible, Morrison. A hundred full million? It's impossible. Unless God does it. So how about it? Will we be a part of creating the pathway that somebody did with three students a hundred years ago where in the next hundred years, in the year 2123, may it be known that Asbury Seminary will continue in her original marching orders, that the Word of God can be well done, and it's the whole Bible for the whole world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.